الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله ونشهد ان سيدنا وحبيبنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله اما بعد respected elders and dear brothers an overwhelming number of more than 21000 people have been killed in the genocide against the people of Gaza approximately 9000 from those who were martyred are children and approximately 6000 of them are women thousands more are buried beneath the rubble of their home we are reminded of the hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam wherein he used a beautiful metaphorical analogy comparing the ummah to a single human body rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam had said mathalul mu'minin fi tawaddihim wa ta'aqufihim wa tarahumihim mathalul jasad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that Muslim ummah in the compassion and love that they have for one another the concern that they have for one another the mutual support that they show one another the example is like that of the human body idha ishtaka minhu utwun Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that when a certain limb of the body suffers then the entire body responds to the suffering of that limb now this metaphor is so beautiful why because a rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam considered the human body in arabic we have what is called tashbih a metaphorical analogy whenever you have a metaphorical analogy not only in arabic but in every other language you have the compared and the compared to so ya rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam is comparing the ummah to one single human body so the compared to is the human body and we always study the compared to the focus and the attention is on the compared to why because we want to learn of the characteristics that are found in the compared to and we understand that those very same characteristics must be found in the compared so rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam has compared us to the human body why because we find that when there is an infection when there is an infection in the human body then the symptoms are a reaction to that infection and those symptoms are a natural reaction it's a natural reaction automatically naturally spontaneously we find that those symptoms appear in other parts of the human body hence a rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam teaches us that if you belong to the body of the muslim ummah then your reaction should be a natural one you should not be asked to react you should not be forced and compelled to react but the reaction should be a natural one alhamdulillah we have seen the muslim ummah has reacted there's much more that could have been done there was absolutely perhaps no reaction from certain parts and from certain people who enjoy the authority and the position to have reacted as we would love them and would have liked them to react but generally the muslim masses and muslims around the world have reacted people have reacted by making dua there is no better way to react raising our hand calling out to allah 
begging from Allah, pleading to Allah, that was a reaction. There are others who reacted by cutting out certain things in their life, certain habits that they have developed over the years. They felt that this is an opportunity for me to detach myself from those habits, from those addictions. There are others who are motivated to develop a better relationship with Allah. It moved them. If this could not move me, if what has happened over the past 86 days could not move me towards Allah, there is not much in this world that can move me then towards Allah. So there were reactions. People have downgraded. People felt that there is a need for me to adapt my lifestyle. I cannot continue living that life of extravagance and I cannot continue living a life wherein I'm spending much of my time and much of my resources on things that produce absolutely no benefit, that are counterproductive. People have made those adaptions. People have made those changes. People have reacted. So the one reaction is a dua that you make to Allah. The other reaction is it moved you towards the masjid. It moved you towards Allah. It moved you towards acts of righteousness and piety. It moved you closer to Allah. It gave you the ability to distance yourself from every act of disobedience and sin that you would normally engage in during this time of the year. Others have donated generously and they have reacted by supporting the cause, supporting the people of Gaza through whichever financial means they could to the best of their ability. There is another reaction that happens automatically. There is another response that happens spontaneously and naturally. And that is the psychological reaction. Our thought that we harbor about Allah during a calamity of this nature. Now the thing about that reaction, every other reaction is a physical one. Every other reaction is an apparent one. It's a visible reaction. But the psychological reaction, what is going through my mind, the thoughts that I harbor about Allah, the opinion that I have about Allah, when a calamity of this magnitude affects a certain part of the Ummah, when I see children blown apart to smithereen, when I see destruction at this level, what are the natural psychological reaction and response that I experience? What are the thoughts that run through my mind about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that's what we would like to address in today's pre-khutbah talk. And it is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had spoken of. On the occasion of Khandaq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed the psychological response and reaction. The thoughts that people would harbor about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِذْ جَاءُكُمْ مِنْ فَوْقِكُمْ وَمِنْ أَسْفَلَ مِنْكُمْ Allah speaks of the alliances. Allah says, remember the occasion when the alliances, different, different confederates and forces mobilized and they had laid siege around Al-Madinatul Munawwara. Allah says, they approached you, they marched towards you from the lower part of Al-Madinatul Munawwara, from the upper part of Madinatul Munawwara. You were threatened from every side, and from every angle, O Rasul of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Sahaba. Allah speaks of reaction, the physical reaction. Your vision was overtaken by terror. You were horrified. Your eyes were swerving from one side to the other. When does that happen? 
when you are gripped by fear, Allah says that is how you react. You are in a state of fear. Can you imagine the fear of those young children, the fear of those elderly people, the fear of those mothers and daughters of the Ummah who are being told to move from one region to another region whose life is constantly under threat and they are seeing death staring them in the faces. You are overtaken by horror. O Sahaba, your heart reached your throat. You could feel your heart pounding in your throat. That was the extent of your fear. Then Allah speaks of the psychological reaction as well. Your thoughts about Allah. You had conflicting thoughts about Allah. You had conflicting thoughts about Allah. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he writes in the commentary of this verse, he says, The munafiqun, the hypocrites, from amongst the people of Medina, they were convinced. What was their opinion about Allah? What was their thought about Allah? They had a very negative thought about Allah. They were convinced that Muhammad وسلم, and the companions of Rasulullah will be completely annihilated. They looked at the forces, they looked at the military might, they looked at the power, they looked at the number. And that was their thought about Allah. They harbored a negative thought about Allah. But the true believers, what was the thought that they had about Allah? What was their psychological response and reaction? That was the natural outcome of that very frightful and terrible event. He writes that they were convinced They were convinced that what Allah and His Rasul had promised them will certainly come to pass. It is the haqq, it is the truth. Hence Allah has attached importance to the psychological reaction. The thoughts that we have about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the event of loss, calamity, genocide and killing that the Muslim Ummah encountered. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when relating to us the incident of Ibrahim alayhi salam, there Allah also reminds us of the importance of having a good opinion about Allah regardless of the circumstances. What is it that governs your opinion about Allah? What is it that governs your thought about Allah? It's your life experiences. Your life experiences are what governs your thought about Allah. You will either harbor a positive thought about Allah or you will harbor a negative thought about Allah. Allah forbid. We are never ever allowed to harbor a negative thought about Allah. As unfavorable, as terrible, as evil as the situation may be. And when we look at the people of Gaza, they are the perfect example. In the midst of anarchy, in the midst of lust, in the midst of suffering, they still proclaim Alhamdulillah. We are an Ummah of Alhamdulillah. When you say Alhamdulillah, regardless of your circumstance, you have developed a positive thought about Allah. That is the first step toward having a positive thought about Allah. Alhamdulillah. We are an ummah of Alhamdulillah. We are a people of Alhamdulillah. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa has taught us. 
whenever he experienced a favorable situation, whenever he was bestowed with a bounty, what did he say? Alhamdulillah, the one who allowed all good things to reach fruition. And when he encountered anything unfavorable in his life, what did he say? Alhamdulillah, again, Alhamdulillah, we are an ummah of Alhamdulillah. What is Alhamdulillah? Alhamdulillah is a verbal expression of the psychological response to the circumstance that you face in life. A positive response. And we see that coming from that land. Alhamdulillah, just to digress a bit, and I've shared this with different audiences as well. There's a woman in America who has an online book club and she has followers of up to 800,000. Online book club, many of us might have read the article. The article made it to mainstream media as well. So she would choose a certain book and she would suggest her followers read that book and they would share their thoughts regarding the book and share certain quotations and so on and so forth from the book. When the genocide started in Gaza, she was so amazed and so she was so surprised at the resilience of the people of Gaza. She said, what a people, what a community. They lose everything, but they turn up to the heavens, not an utterance of complaint. What do they say? Alhamdulillah. And she was so inspired by this, she said that I need to identify the source of this resilience. Why are they such a resilient people? Their Iman, their Iman, their faith in Allah is so deeply rooted and established that they always have a good thought about Allah. They always have a positive thought about Allah. She found that the source of their resilience was the Qur'an. An important lesson for you and I. Let this move us towards the Qur'an as well. There's no better way to understand the happenings and the occurrences around the world than understanding it through the lens of Qur'an. Nevertheless, she decided to choose the Qur'an as their next book of study. And they began studying it and she posted certain verses of the Qur'an online that she found inspirational. And two weeks later she took the shahada. In front of 800,000 followers, she took the shahada. She brought Iman in that Qur'an. Now the question that comes to our mind, the Qur'an moved her from a state of kufr to a state of Iman. The way it moved Umar ibn al-Khattab whose heart was full with hatred for Rasulullah to the point and to the extent that he was prepared to assassinate the Nabi of Allah. That was the state of kufr that had prevailed within his heart. But he was moved by the Qur'an. The Qur'an moved him from that low, deplorable state of kufr to an unprecedented level of faith and iman. Here you find this lady and many others then followed her and took the shahada as well. How is it that the Qur'an moved them from one state? But with me, when I read the Qur'an, let alone moving me from one state to another, it does not move me even from one level of faith to another level of faith. I recite the Qur'an and after completion, I, I, I feel the same way in terms of the level of my Iman. There's no movement. It's not moving me closer to Allah. It's a great reward to read the book. 
memorize the book. We should never underestimate the virtues of reading the book and memorizing the book. But why the difference? Because when they approached the Quran, when this woman and her followers, when they approached the Quran, they approached it with the intention of understanding the message of the Quran. They know nothing about tilawah. They know nothing about the rewards of reciting the Quran and memorizing the Quran. They approach the Quran with the intention of understanding the message of Quran. When you will approach the Quran with that intention, with that determination to understand the Kalam of Allah, you will be left with no choice but ascending towards Allah, moving towards Allah Azza wa Jalla. We are a people of Alhamdulillah, a people who will only have a good thought about Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. In the aftermath of war, this was on the occasion of Hunayn. The Battle of Hunayn took place after, immediately after the conquest of Mecca, the eighth year of Hijrah. Rasulullah and the Sahaba, they were observing the aftermath of the war that had taken place. And Rasulullah and the Sahaba observed a woman from amongst the captives. They caught sight of her. She was in a state of panic and she was frantically running about looking for her baby child. She lost her baby child during the war and she was running from one side to another looking for her baby child and trying to identify him. She then came across the child. And the moment she came across the child, the narration of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala who he says, إِذْ وَجَدَتْ صَبِيًّا فِي السَّبْيِ فَأَخَذَتْهُ وَأَلْسَقَتْهُ بِبَطْنِهَا وَأَرْضَعَتْهُ She then came across her child. The moment she found her baby child, she took him, she embraced him, she hugged him toward herself and she began to feed the child. An emotional scene. A Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa took advantage of the scene that, that caught the attention of the Sahaba. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa then said to them, O my Sahaba, you have observed the level of concern she has for the child, the love she has for the child, the compassion that she has for the baby of hers, and how uneasy she was until she did not find her child. So Rasulullah then asked them, do you think for a moment that she will ever take that same child of hers and throw him into a blazing fire after observing her love for the child? The Sahaba said, La Wallah, no Nabi of Allah. After observing the level of love that she has for the child, I don't ever think, we don't ever think that she will do that to the child. Rasul then said, Lallahu arhamu bi'ibadihi min al-mar'ati biwaladiha Allah loves his servants more than that mother loves her child. We need to focus, as Rasulullah did, the aftermath of war, and he drew the attention of the Sahaba towards Allah's rahmah, towards Allah's mercy. There was a certain tabi'i, Hamad ibn Salama, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Wallahi law qiyirt, بين أن يحاسبني الله أو أن يحاسبني والدي لاخترت أن يحاسبني الله He says that on the day of Qiyamah if I'm given two options Oh Hamad, you either allow your parents to take your reckoning to interrogate you and to question you or you allow Allah to do that Who will you choose? Your parents over Allah or Allah over your parents? to do the interrogation and the questioning. Hamad radiallahu ta'ala who says, if I'm given that option, 
لَخْتَرْتُ أَيُحَاسِبَنِي اللَّهِ I will choose Allah over my parents. Why? إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَرْحَمُ بِي مِنْ وَالِدَيَّ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more merciful towards me than even my own parents. The vastness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is something that is indescribable. A Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sahaba explained that once he was offering salah and a villager came and prayed salah behind the Nabi of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. After salah, this villager he made a dua loudly. Allahumma rahamni wa muhammada wa la tarham ma'anan ahada. He loudly made the dua. Oh Allah, have mercy on me. Have mercy on Muhammad. And don't let anyone else here enjoy your mercy. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was surprised at the dua. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turned to him. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَقَدْ تَحَجَّرْتَ وَاسِعًا Oh my sahabi, why have you tried to confine the unconfinable? Why have you tried to restrict the unrestrictable? The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so vast. Why have you tried to confine it and constrict it? Brothers, we should not confine the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to this temporary worldly existence. Very often when we observe what is happening around the world, the calamities, the killing, the challenges, the genocide, and perhaps shaitan plants that thought within the mind that where is the mercy of Allah? Let us not confine the mercy of Allah to the worldly experiences as that we that we are exposed to. To understand this, there's a beautiful hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that makes things so clear for us. Whether it is the ummah suffering around the world or the personal sufferings and challenges that we have in our lives. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ummati hadihi ummatun marhumah. Opening statement. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, My ummah is at the center of Allah's love, is at the center of Allah's divine providence. My ummah is at the center of Allah's divine grace, His compassion and mercy. No other ummah enjoys the compassion, the love and mercy of Allah as my ummah. Then the question that comes to your mind, why the killing? Why the genocide? Why the destruction? That the ummah of Rasulullah is suffering throughout the world. Rasul Sallallahu answered that for us. What did he say? Rasul Sallallahu says, Laysa My ummah will not suffer adab in al-akhirah. SubhanAllah. What is the Rasul Sallallahu teaching us? He's teaching us that our worth, our value as an ummah is never ever measured by our worldly experience. We don't measure our worth by that which has no value in the court of Allah. Rasul Sallallahu has said it time and again, the dunya is worthless. The dunya does not have any value in the sight of Allah. Why should we then measure our worth and our value as an ummah by the worldly experiences when the world has no value whatsoever? Rasulullah draws our attention to akhirah. Our value, our worth, our status as an ummah is measured by our experience in akhirah. Allah will not take my ummah and collectively cast them into a hellfire. But in the dunya, Rasulullah says, Adabuha fi dunya. In this dunya, my ummah will suffer. My ummah will suffer in this dunya. 
That we are entering into the season of ghafla. We have already entered into a season of ghafla, the season of heedlessness, the season wherein you will find people engaged in acts of transgression and disobedience on a scale that is not witnessed throughout the year. Rasul had encouraged us during this time of a season when we are surrounded by heedlessness, ghafla, and we are surrounded by acts of immorality and shamelessness and so on and so forth that we need to hold on to our spiritual activities and our spiritual duties to Allah. Rasulullah said, Al-ibadatu fil harj kahijratin ilayya Making the ibadah of Allah at a time when you are surrounded by fitna at a time when you are surrounded by different types of temptations to make the ibadah of Allah in that time, during those moments, when everyone else is waiting for the countdown and everyone else is eagerly awaiting to violate and transgress every commandment of Allah, if you will choose to hold on to ibadah during those times and those, those moments, Rasulullah says, you receive the reward of making hijrah to me. That is to Rasulullah I leave you with three du'as that we should make, not only during this time of the year, not only when we are, when we are afraid of falling into temptation and we are afraid of lowering our guard and perhaps committing acts of vice and sin, sometimes we fear that we do not have control over ourselves and we might end up violating the commandments of Allah. Three very important du'as, make them excessively during this time of the year and throughout our lives as well. These are fortresses which guard us from falling into the disobedience of Allah. The first, رَبَّنَا لَا تُزِغْ قُلُوبَنَا بَعْدَ إِذْ هَدَيْتَنَا وَهَبْ لَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةٍ إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَهَّابِ Make this dua as often as possible. After every salah, many of us have memorized this dua. You are asking Allah not to cause your heart to slip and not to cause your heart to deviate away from Allah, from the hidayah and the guidance that Allah has allowed you to enjoy. Number two, Rasul taught the Sahaba beautiful dua on the occasion of Uhud. Allahumma habbib ilayna al-eeman wa zayyinhu fi qulubina wa karrih ilayna al-kufra wal-fusuqa wal-isyan wa ja'alna min al-rashideen. You ask Allah to allow iman to reach its beauty within your heart and you're asking Allah and seeking protection from falling into all acts of vice and disobedience. The third dua, Rasulullah had taught us, Ya Muqallib al-Qulub, O the turner of heart, Ya Muqallib al-Qulub, Tabbit qalbi ala deenik, O the turner of heart, keep my heart 
firmly established upon your deen and upon your obedience. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi